This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Ever load up Google Maps and think, nah, I can do better than that. It's the humans versus the computer algorithms and me versus Adam, right now on Device and Virtue. Welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. <laughs> Is that what we do? Mostly they're arguing. I'm Chris. <laughs> and I'm Adam, and we are talking about algorithms today. <laughs> you, you know, do you feel like your dance moves are an algorithm? Yeah, kind of. I would say, like, <laughs> if it's this song, then these are my dance moves. <laughs> oh, dude, do I know this about you? Because you, this weekend I had my big party. Um, at yeah. my house, lots of people. Oh man, there were so many people there. So many You're friends. You're so popular, Chris. So, so you popular. and all your friends are so popular. <laughs> and uh, and we always like to get to the dance part of the evening. And I had some good bass. And we found that little spinning colored light in the garage. So we had that one of those spinning <laughs> Yeah, I saw that from outside. I was like, oh man, this is going to be a serious <laughs> it's gonna be lit. dance party. But yeah, you do have those dance moves, which are nice. You know, I just Thanks. feel like I feel like it's a good friendship that you and I have when I can look at you and go, yeah, that's Adam dancing. Mm, I don't know if I how I feel about that. <laughs> so the thing is, I was using, um, I like I like my music setup. I don't think you have one of these, but you know, I have three different Alexas in the house and I've got Spotify premium running across them so i can like do all the speakers in the house on the same playlist mm-hmm. and we did a lot of prep for this party it was a crazy theme we had stuff everywhere it was a apple cider things so we had apples and we we're cleaning everything and we we're cooking stuff and we we're getting the house ready but i really didn't have time to like make a big music playlist yeah so i was like i'm fine got spotify so i opened it up searched for a party playlist that already has some of my preferences that it knows i clicked play and the party was hopping like you, know, you, get the, <laughs> you get the automatic playlist, right? It was good music. I don't remember which the first song was, but it was that sort of satisfying feeling of like, yes, this is a party. Now it's a party. Here's the thing. Do you use Spotify the playlist? Uh, I do use Spotify, yeah. So they have like, you know, the regular, like a selected playlist, like five or six songs on them. But then they have just these continuous playlists. Yeah, you, you just, just plug play. in an artist or a song and they'll just start and It'll just start creating something off it, right? right? It's using algorithms. It's using like some sort of decisions to choose which song is next. I'm doing that. And then at some point in the party, like someone decides they really don't like the song that's going on. It and- wasn't me. <laughs> So they walk up to like one of those. I have an I had an iPad sitting in the corner showing the song. They walk up to it and change it, of course, like change it to the song yeah. they want. But then someone else, I mean, there's a lot of people at this party, doesn't really like that song. So they walk it wasn't up, me. So they walk up and change it to something else, like some sort of Latin dance music, and then they were dancing. That, to that. Uh, actually, that was me. <laughs> that was I. <laughs> so we're talking about algorithms today. Spotify uses recommendation engines, which are a type of algorithm, right, to recommend music and create playlists, and it works perfectly until people don't like it. Exactly, and Spotify got in some hot water recently with a country music singer named Martina McBride. You're telling me her? Yeah, everyone knows who she is. Yeah, everybody knows. Not that I've like can name a song or anything, but I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) But she punched in the name of a female artist because she wanted to create a country music playlist, and 
for the next 14 pages of artist recommendations, they were all male country music artists. On Spotify? On Spotify. And she got livid, I think rightly so. And she was really mad because for 14 pages, 140 recommendations. Well, and she's, she's mad. Only men make good country songs. I <laughs> Don't the write women, in. Because the joking. women just break their I'm hearts joking. over and over <laughs> oh, and over. <laughs> but yeah, so she kind of took on Spotify with this and, and I think rightly raised a stink about it. And they apologize and stuff. And, but yeah. And they did. But I think, you know, here they're trying to provide, you know, music people want and in an order that they want it and it's turns out it maybe is a little bit biased or is just negligent in how it's recommending who you should listen to next there are all these places in our lives i'm glad we brought it up because all these places in our lives where we're running into algorithms right or recommendation engines or anything you call it right so i had i had this experience a couple years ago that really made me aware of this so a colleague and i are going to the airport he is late to pick me up first of all oh that's always the way so he he was picking you up late to get to the airport is like the worst feeling in the world because the airplane will not wait for you okay but you're the guy that gets there like five hours early right ish (laughs) five ish okay and he's late to pick you up i do understand yeah so he's he blows into my driveway i jump in the car throw my bag in the back and we take off and he's he's buzzing down the road and we get to a intersection a stoplight and i'm like hey if you go straight here you can you can miss a toll getting on the highway he's like yeah but google maps it's telling me to go left here i'm like and i'm like no dude go straight google maps this this will be great and he's like he's like he pulls into the left lane and turns left and i'm kind of mad about this cuz i'm like dude i live around here you live like 20 miles away you have no idea and i'm trying to save you money and i couldn't decide if i was mad at google maps <laughs> for disagreeing with me right, right or if i was mad at my colleague and i didn't really know how to like appeal to a higher power in that moment and i just felt really frustrated <laughs> And it was a really emotional, <laughs> stressful drive to the airport. I, I think algorithms are ruining our lives, Chris. <laughs> Lots of people like to argue with Google Maps. You know, for me, I would have been the guy that probably would have just ignored you and took away Google. Yeah, that's, that's, I, that's why we have a fraught friendship. <laughs> because you don't listen to me when you should. Ooh, fraught, I, so here's how, I, here's how I argue with, the, with Google Maps by driving a different direction and beating it. That's what I do. Mic drop. Like you won something. I think it's, that's what, I, th- I think a lot of people will do this. Everybody like, wants to look beat at Google, Google Maps. Maps right? Yeah. They look at the time. They try to see if they can accelerate a little more or maybe, but you try to go another uh, no, route. No, I take a different route. It wrong. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's in my DNA, I promise you. Here's the thing about Google Maps, man. It has so much data. It has you know, I know my neighborhood, I know my area of the city, but it has traffic data from mm-hmm. everyone's cell phones moving down the interstate, which True. is like, it's got, I mean, it's got, it can track, you know, 10,000s of cars. Yeah, but I turn my tracking area. off. 
<laughs> so it can't track me when I'm not using well, I'm it. I'm so glad that you're the one drop of water yeah. that's not being yeah, tracked. Yeah, they don't have all the data, Chris. Yeah, right. Minus Adam Graber, which is good because you're probably like a grandma foot, so you'd <laughs> throw off the whole... I am not a grandma foot, <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> but, I, but I was just saying, I trust the algorithm to get around, and I think we need to talk about that. <laughs> so here's the burning question. Should we have faith in algorithms? And then how do <laughs> algorithms affect our faith? All right. So first, I think we should just like quick define like what an algorithm is. And this is like my understanding. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's not like not, you and I are not out there writing algorithms. But yeah, I have a little more coding experience. But okay. yeah, go for it. All right. Well, my understanding on a really basic level is that an algorithm is a series of if-then statements. If this, then that. So it's basically saying it's like a series of decision trees and yeah. it might be a really complex complicated set of decision trees but it's just running people through is it this or is it that and based on the answer it's taking you in another direction and yeah. then it's asking next uh, the next question yeah and that's sort of right i mean when i learned like I coded in a program called Pascal when college, like that's a long time ago. But oh, anyone that was a computer science Everybody person. Everybody knows how old you are now. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and then you learn, and then you learn Java or something object oriented. Okay, nerd stuff aside. But, but, and that's how you learn to program initially. You'd have to create, think of all the steps ahead of time. If then do mm. this, you know, if then do this. And you're thinking in a decision tree. But that's sort of old school programming. The next level of that, and what's been really big in the last, yeah. what's creating the Spotify recommendation engines and Google Maps is this whole other thing, machine learning, which you and I have talked right. about in artificial intelligence categories before. Right. And the fascinating thing about machine learning, right, is that you feed it a crap ton of data. <laughs> like, like, for instance, on Google Maps, you feed it all the roads and then you feed all the cars driving on the roads at the same time. Right. And then it starts figuring out its own rules for the if-then. So right. instead of the programmer having to think about ahead of time, if then right. this, if then this, the computer itself sort of writes some of its own if-then decision trees. It, it finds these patterns and says, okay, if this pattern is happening, then that pattern is probably also happening. Right, right, exactly. Right? Which makes them sort of crazy smart and it makes it right. go faster and churn through a whole lot more data than a human could really anticipate. So why do you think algorithms have become such a like significant part of the our culture and our conversations and just our lives today? I mean, Google Maps is an algorithm and it's running our life. Well, why? It's <laughs> yeah, it's ruining our life. I mean, it's uh, I misspoke oh there. <laughs> uh, I love Google Maps, man, because I can stay on the road. <laughs> I do too. And, I, and I, I love Google Maps. Well, we go, we can talk about how it, we offload our brain, but I think one of the, isn't one of the reasons is we have so much data now we don't know what to do with it. You mean because everybody everybody's smartphone is like giving away data like it's free <laughs> or measuring it for us just I mean, shedding data here and there. So the smartphone like the is sin that so easily entangles. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> uh, in, like I think most people know this, but the way that we get all that traffic data when it shows red, yellow, or green, like right. on the map, is really from cell phones. Right. And it's just because it, almost every car has a smartphone in the car, right. and it anonymously is measuring that smartphone against all the cell phone towers, and then also it's using Wi-Fi as it goes by these days. So because cell phones don't give precise enough areas, but it can it can track on this little little over Wi-Fi invisible sort of packet it sends. 
And so it just it shows it's like feels like what data a waterfall of data that Google gets and if it was like being shown in some sort of computer screen on um, like I don't know a big Excel table where like it's the show matrix. like cell phone. <laughs> you said it's a waterfall of data. I mean, oh, what am man. I thinking of? That's a beautiful analogy. That falling green little weird mm. Japanese. <laughs> You just see it right there. If you if you all just, the data. like if I was supposed to show you all this, like here's Adam's cell phone at GPS coordinate X and Y, and now it's at GPS coordinate the next one at this time and oh, the next man. one this time. And you're looking at tens of thousands of those, no human being could ever deal with that data, right? right. Your eyes can't handle it. So your it's brain just can't like it. it's it's data overload. Yeah. So and so we need a way to like access that data or, or to visualize the data or to process it. We got to have a, you know actionable we intelligence. Have to, we have to be able to relate to the data, and we relate to it through al- an algorithm. Is that the, the yeah? Point? We're creating something to summarize it down into something that makes it meaningful. Mm. I think we have to. We've had to. And then there's that also that idea of decision fatigue. That idea that you know. What do you mean? Well, algorithms are making decisions, right? Like like Spotify is saying, I think you'll like this one next, and it just plays it for us. See, that's what I don't like. I, I'm like, no, I'm making the decisions. I'm going this way. I'm oh. going straight. I'm not turning left. So, but how would you know that, right? Like when you're looking for a playlist, because I've been there before. That's exactly right. Like if you're looking for a playlist for the next song on Spotify, like you're like flicking through songs and like you're like, oh, I don't know what that song is. I don't know what that song is. I don't know what that song is. Mm-hmm. Oh, that song I do know. I've heard. Mm-hmm. I like that. So yeah. you click that one. The problem is you might not know it's that a those, country those, song by a by a by white a male. Man. By a white male. Yeah. <laughs> those other four songs might actually be pretty good, but you don't know them, and that you would have to take two things: a risk to try something you're not used to. And then the time to listen to like a four minute, five minute song and then the time to listen to the next four or five minute song. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. And like humans can only absorb so much, but I think algorithms, like these quote unquote discovery algorithms are sort of interesting and useful because they, in music, like they measure things like rhythm and style and then they give you something that you might actually like. Okay. So one of the things that Martina McBride brought up then, she, she kind of was asking Spotify like, is are you guys just being lazy or is this like actually discriminatory? Oh yeah, right, yeah. Like are you just, you know, picking the top artists and and just being careless? But she she kind of ran it through in her mind like and, and it's sort of this if then scenario series of scenarios like okay, country radio doesn't play many women. Therefore, country labels sign fewer women and listeners hear fewer women on the radio. Hmm. and they're more likely to skip women when they hear them on Spotify, and the algorithm responds accordingly. So we sort of coast towards it? It coasts towards this 14 pages of white men singing sad songs. Right, right. I guess part of me is like, well, people are wanting this kind of thing, and they're responding, and the algorithm is saying, this is what you wanted, so I'm giving it to you. So like, there's bias there, yeah, but it's sort of our bias, right? So there have been a lot of stories in the news about the way algorithms are hurting people way more yeah. seriously than like Spotify. Right. One of the ones that you and I were looking at was that one by MIT Technology that was talking about review, incarceration, yeah. right? There's this algorithm that some judges are using, some courts are using to decide whether someone, when they're arrested, is likely to get arrested again. You know, should they let them out on bail while they're waiting for the trial or not? And it, you know, sort of gives a score based on who they are, 
past right. experiences with neighborhood and says, hey, they're like 50% likely to like commit a crime while they're out on bail. Right. And there's, I thought the article was fascinating because it had some interactive graphs in it. And I feel like people should go check it out because mm-hmm. judges are relying on it. I'm like, the big mistake it was making is it was more likely keeping black men right. in prison. But then when you actually looked at how many people recommitted a crime during that time, it was, it was yeah. against, biased against black men. Yeah. And they didn't even put race in the algorithm. Right. They tried not to do that. Well, it's not legally allowed to account for race. So they, so they, even so, it's still misjudged people yeah. on a regular basis. And that's hurting people's lives. That's unjust. So Amazon, they love algorithms. And they decided they wanted to use algorithms to help them hire new programmers. And so they took 10 years of HR history and they hmm. uploaded all of the uh, resumes and cover letters and background data that they had on these people and they they looked at who they hired who they didn't and the algorithm and the machine learning started to say okay if it's this kind of person we're not going to hire them if it's that kind of person yes those are the kinds of people we hire well what it found was it was predominantly surprise surprise just like country music it was a bunch of white men (laughs) oh gosh and 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 women and minorities were being excluded almost entirely and it became very obvious in the way that the algorithm was surfacing so much so that amazon actually pretty much abandoned this algorithm because it wasn't representing their values right and yet that was representing the last 10 years of their values and the hiring practices that they'd had over the past 10 years so so the question is i think what were you and i are both trying to hit here is is the algorithm wrong or is the algorithm showing us something about people when the people actually are biased themselves? If racism was already there, it's coming out in the algorithm. We're just noticing it more. And right. the algorithm could be like a fun mirror of human nature. <laughs> so like, like if the human nature looks in the mirror, it starts seeing itself in the algorithm, but it sort of bulges out and it magnifies weirdly certain things about yeah, ourselves exaggerate certain characteristics and we're trying to program in these things and then we look at our algorithms and we go whoa why did it come up with that that's crazy and they're like oh maybe we're seeing part of ourselves mm-hmm. yeah and i think they're taking this data in and saying oh these these disparate systems that have sort of ambiguous patterns that we really can't see the data is pulling it all in distilling it Oh, these are the patterns that are happening across society. This is what's happening in the prison system. This is what's happening in the hiring system. And it's happening in the medical system too. So this is just another example. They found that wealthy white people go to the doctor more frequently than poor black people. And insurance companies were trying to figure out, okay, how can we use algorithms to save ourselves money and also save other people money? And they found that, well, if we can serve these wealthy white people earlier, we can actually prevent uh, health problems down the road. So they were favoring the white people and the black people who aren't tending to go to the doctor as frequently are actually getting less service, even though they should be getting more. There was a group in Boston that was using it and they started to notice that it was pointing them to a zip code that was a really wealthy zip code 
in the Boston area. And, and they started to scratch their head about that and wonder about that. And I think the, the, the point I want to make here is it required a local knowledge that an individual has that the algorithm doesn't account for. And it's only when a, a human intersects the algorithm that we can really understand that there are biases happening because the algorithm doesn't know that. The algorithm's just saying, here are the patterns that I'm seeing. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Let's say, just to suppose for a minute, that we are able to remove some of the biases from algorithms, maybe even a lot of them. And so the things we're talking about negatively affecting people, that we sort of, those get reduced I think there are other effects of algorithms or, you know, machine learning, AI sort of things mm-hmm. on the way humans work. <laughs> what are the implicit or invisible effects of just having that technology around okay, us? Okay, sure, yeah. One thing I thought of was the, you know, this week they had the CEO of Boeing okay. was testifying in front of Congress because of those plane crashes. Oh, right. The, the 737. Yeah, the 737 MAX planes, <laughs> which two of them crashed within six months of each other. Right. Obviously, people started to get nervous what's going on. And if you they're paid attention... They're still grounded, I think. Yeah, no. right. They're not flying that model. And the fun, the interesting thing is it's a, one of the newest models and it's actually super more fuel efficient and all this stuff. So, mm. But why aren't they flying it? It's because it was not a hardware problem with the plane like we, you and I think of like the wing was cracking or something. <laughs> it was a software problem in the technology. Right. The engines were actually so efficient efficient that they moved the plane faster with less fuel and it actually tilted the nose up a little bit more than the previous 737s because i don't know how flight dynamics work but it just it would fly faster and the nose would be tilted up a little bit Hmm. and they knew that pilots would be a little bit uncomfortable with this so they told the software to automatically tilt the nose down just a touch in certain circumstances okay so that the pilots that flew 737s would it would feel fairly normal to them. So they didn't want the airplanes to be snobs. Is the point? <laughs> That's a, yeah, the less, nose needed to be a little bit lower than it was. Planes. Okay. The whole problem was these are very complex systems, and in both cases, the software took over and started pushing the nose of the plane down right when it shouldn't have. Oh, and interesting. The, and the pilots, who were very experienced pilots, didn't know what was happening. So they're compensating for it. It's compensating for them. Yeah, yeah. Something like something exactly like that. You know, oh I'm man, not, it's a bad relationship. <laughs> right. And they're like, you know, they're pulling up and it's pushing it down, that kind of stuff, and it winds up crashing the plane. Mm. And I was listening to an aviation expert talk about it, and he's saying, hey, if the pilots had known what was going on, they could have actually. They have a lot of experience. They could have flown this, but there was no signal for this. Mm-hmm. And he says, when we t- start taking systems 
and increasingly add automation algorithms to them, right? It starts bumping out the human out of that control equation. And you and I get this because when we use we use Google Maps, we start talking to our neighbor more or listening to music more because we're just following the route, right? Don't bump me out. <laughs> Would you like to write a country song about that? (laughs) (laughs) And I was just thinking, like, actually, I was driving here through Chicago, through the streets, and it's pretty, like, I don't know, it's crazy. It's dark out. There's, like, I'm driving under one of the L tracks, and there are metal poles flying by me from the 1800s. I'm driving next to other cars, and there's, uh, like, you know, homeless guys trying to walk across the street, and there's a lot of things going on. And I remembered a friend last week saying to me, like, oh, I don't like driving in the city. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, it actually is sort of rough. Interstate driving is a lot easier than this. There was a ton of little details and I just know the city really well. I've been around in it for 20 years. So I've got uh, in my mind, I've got a set of the streets in my mind. There are some corners that have no signs. There are six roads out the one corner. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You'd have to have gone through that intersection before to know it because the signs aren't clear. And then and then I've sort of got all this just reserved knowledge. Ironically, I was thinking about algorithms as they're driving here instead of thinking about driving. <laughs> but my brain and experience are doing it, right? And I have a lot of life experience to do this. Pilots have a lot of life experience piloting the planes. Say I had a self-driving car 10 years from now. Yeah. And it did a lot of that stuff for me. But then say suddenly uh, it lost control and I'm supposed to take over. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't yeah. really have that knowledge or experience. Yeah. My brain would be too puffed up from reading all the books I've been reading <laughs> and not really knowing how to drive. Do algorithms, just like pilots or me piloting through Chicago, start... Kind of a brain drain? Well, they make us or less, skill drain. less good at that skill. Less good. Is it less good or is it differently good? Like, does it just mean that we get good at different things rather than driving? I love it when you make my arguments for me. That's what I was going to say. Because <laughs> it does. It shifts things, right? Some people could see it as a loss. Humans are, be- yeah. are not learning X or Y. Like, like right. the lack of handwriting in schools because we all type. I think we're, maybe we're learning different things. Maybe if a decision algorithm is driving, I do get to read more books. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I wonder, though, if it's, it's shifting our attention, it's shifting our practices into other spaces. And that can be good and bad it can be both of those things i guess it it shapes what we're paying attention to and what we're spending our time getting good at and that for me becomes a more ethical question a more moral question of like where where's my attention going what am i what am i practicing to get good at how is it shaping me spiritually you know, is driving a car a spiritual practice? Not necessarily, but uh, I think algorithms are, they're, they're kind of guiding us away from certain kinds of engagement and maybe towards other kinds of engagement. And we need to be thinking a little more critically about what's this inclining me to engage in or disengage from. One of the interesting things about these decision algorithms is that they're teaching us more possibly, or they might, about what it means to be human. 
because humans make decisions all the time. Mm-hmm. And we've been studying how we make decisions. Like in, if you think about school, I love these topics. Individuals make decisions. We study this in psychology, through personality tests. Like right. if you take Myers-Briggs tests, it talks about you're more of a thinking decision making maker or a feeling decision maker. Okay. Economics is a whole study of how humans make decisions. Uh, communication theorists, especially orgcom, they sit around and look at like business meetings. You know, when you're in a room, all the dynamics. Yeah, and with a whiteboard, and you're all talking about something, and someone goes, "Well, I think we should do this," and someone else just sort of sits there quietly, and someone else says, "Well, that's a really good idea, Jane." You know, like these are like groups have these actually really complex processes to them. And sometimes, if you've ever been in an office and you've gotten to the end of a decision, like how the heck did we get there? I didn't like that. <laughs> it's one of those things that turns out it's pretty mysterious, and that's why we study it. Hmm. I think that one of the positive effects of algorithms is that we might start noticing even better how complex humans are at this. You mean because it's like forcing us to pay closer attention and to like codify it? Yeah, a little bit because we notice it outside ourselves. So algorithms are sort of changing our relationship to our decision making itself. Don't, I guess, so if it does get codified into these algorithms and then the algorithm sort of goes off into the ether doesn't it kind of become a <laughs> black box though of like unknown reasoning and we're kind of unclear about why is it making this decision that seems like it's one of the big problems right now right people are talking about it showing us doing a decision we don't know how it got there yeah i mean the 737 max the pilots didn't know that the plane was making this decision and they don't know what's going on inside this black box of algorithm. It's like it's doing something smart, but it's not letting the human in on the secret. The programmers aren't the pilots and they're making decisions for the pilots. Yeah, it seems like what we need to do is this idea of assistive AI where machine learning or artificial intelligence does the things that would be annoying for a human to do, but then it gives you information about it and doesn't actually make the decision for you. Do you think, though, that that ends up like with data overload again, where the the (laughs) algorithm sort of giving me all the it's yeah or decision fatigue like how mm-hmm. it, 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 it what i'm this saying is the, I guess this is, is the yeah. reason i'm making the decision do you do you agree uh i <laughs> click, guess so click okay or cancel every time yeah, yeah. oh my <laughs> okay, gosh so okay, many push okay. notifications i can't even handle it yeah you're right i think it actually it's is like a it's like an extrovert that's externally processing every single thought in their mind i can't i can't do that <laughs> although it's like even with the bias thing we we're just talking about earlier you it's showing those decisions more is going to what's help us get over that stuff yeah maybe, maybe. right martina mcbride's like is this lazy or is it discriminatory i right. don't really know because right. it's a black box well you and i clearly are, are erudite enough to have solved the problem for programmers mm. they need to sh- they need to show us the decisions, but not too many decisions. <laughs> show us the data, but not too much data. Yeah, you need to decide which decisions we need to decide about. <laughs> but theologically, I think about this, Christians have a way of talking about humans when it comes to decision making. One question is like, how free is the human person to make decisions? Ooh, Calvinism. Not really just Calvinism, but I mean, this is important. Like, are we, as a human, 
we could have this illusion that we have all the freedom in the world, that I am the master of my world, that I have all the data and all the things, and I make sort of choices. But really, the reality of the world is that a lot of choices are made for us, our parents and where we live and what we're provided. And one of the humilities of Christian faith, I think, is us realizing that we're a creature in a big world and God's the creator. And we both have the ability to make decisions as an image of God in a world, but we also aren't the ones that actually can see all or know all. So are you saying that when I was trying to tell my colleague where he should go, that (laughs) I was being arrogant and proud and refusing to accept that I was in the passenger seat. I just really think you should do the podcast by yourself at this point because you're just getting it right so often. <laughs> I'm <laughs> <You're>, so <laughs> glad to know that. Yeah, I mean, can I just say that, like, maybe it's a little bit proud to, like, think that you know more than all this data collected and sorted through. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, and I certainly understand the sort of fault in thinking that I personally have more knowledge than all of the Google programmers who made Google Maps. Totally agree. However, they don't have the personal local knowledge that I have in the same way that the Boston healthcare system recognized, oh, this locale is a ritzy location. And they have a local knowledge that illuminates the bias of the algorithm that all of the programmers in their sort of abstract space don't know about. I know how to get on the highway without having to pay the toll. Gosh, <laughs> uh, I was going to accuse you of wanting to bite from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and knowing everything, but the local knowledge point might make sense. What do you mean by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Just the idea, it was when I was thinking about this, the idea of the inscrutability of God. Oh, no, not another big word. <laughs> you know, this is a common Reformed category, right? Um, oh, no, not another Reformed category. <laughs> no, we, we, we were okay with everybody. We're like, but, the, but I mean, the idea of the inscrutability of God comes from Scripture. This idea, you know, from Isaiah, a lot of people know this verse, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher, right? And this sort of idea of the, like God has his own ways of doing things and we can't always know what's happening. And even people actually talk about this when they don't understand the decisions of God or the effects mm-hmm. on them in the world. And that was the problem with the tree, that Adam and Eve wanted to reach for the tree because they felt like they knew that they could know, you know? <laughs> and so the the human reaching out for all the knowledge is sort of becomes the, the core of human sin. So you, Adam, trying to decide that you're a whole lot smarter than all the other things, like Google Maps, uh, is the core of human sin. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. First you go to the inscrutability, then you stab me with this. I mean, couldn't you also say that the algorithm is the attempt to seize control of the future and knowledge and awareness of the patterns and habits of humanity from God. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to agree to that, but maybe you could. You don't want to agree to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. I mean, it is, it, it, it's a fine line between knowledge for its own sake and knowledge for the sake of control and power. And the great thing about the algorithm is that it it 
makes visible biases and distills systemic social problems and makes them tangible to us. The problem is that then we want to take that knowledge and assert our control over that situation. Okay, Chris, enough about algorithms. Let's get to the real reason that people listen to this podcast. Is it vice versa? Fun mirrors. A fun mirrors. Yeah, the the kind that bulge out and yeah. sort of make your torso look omnidirectional or your face look really long, mm-hmm. like it's an alien from I don't know, an alien thing. <laughs> uh I I think fun mirrors are ridiculous. I, I don't find them entertaining. <laughs> I don't understand why people like them. Literally I was a navy I was at Navy you, Pier the other day, like in Chicago's Navy Pier, the uh-huh. big thing a lot of tourists go to. I was there. Do um, they have one there? They have a fun Are you mirror, serious? But like it's I didn't even know. I know, you know like locals don't go there much. There's like a tourist <laughs> thing you can pay to go in a fun mirror house. No. <laughs> yeah, there is. I was like, have, who the heck would do that? I think I've been in a fun mirror <laughs> house once. So yeah. uh I, I think it's a vice. You know, it kind of has a negative connotation with like circus culture. Clowns. And yeah, clowns. But. Can make you look like you have muscles though, buddy. <laughs> oh, definitely a virtue then. <laughs> I'll take it. Oh, you're just going for it. Anything awesome. I can take. It's a virtue. Well, I think the algorithms are, are, are a good fun mirror for us looking in and seeing um, what we're like as a society in the way we make decisions. Yeah, sometimes they make us look stronger than we are. Oh, dang. Good to see you. Let's keep doing it. Hey, let's keep the conversation going. I think it's an argument. <laughs> okay. Tweet to us at Device Virtue. And for links and show notes, check us out at deviceandvirtue.com. And do leave us some love by rating us on iTunes. Yeah, please do. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu/hdl.